This morning, I love Easter Sunday. Yeah, that's all right. I love Easter Sunday. Absolutely love it. Resurrection Day. Um, The day when the tomb became empty. And I think that is something which is just glorious and powerful for us. So this morning, as I have done many times on an Easter Sunday, we're going to consider once again that glorious account of Jesus' resurrection. And we will find ourselves initially this morning in the company of a young woman called Mary Magdalene. Here is a person whose life has already been changed and transformed absolutely miraculously by Jesus. Luke records for us uh, in Luke 8 verses 1 and 2, he gives us a bit of an insight into her previous life and where she has come from. And he writes this, soon afterward, he, that's referring to Jesus, went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Now, I'm sorry that only women are mentioned there. That's a bit of a joke, all right, but you didn't laugh. Um, But the reality is that there were not just the disciples. There were women who were following along with him. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And then it finishes by saying, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Mary's life had been dramatically transformed. She didn't just thank God for the deliverance that she had received, but she became devoted to Jesus, absolutely devoted to Jesus. You can see it if you follow any, um, you know, of the references with regard to herself. She's there serving. She's there when the crucifixion happens. She's there when Joseph takes the body of Jesus and lays him in the tomb. She might be at a distance, but she is there. And then, where we're going to read from in a moment, she is there again. So let's just read. I'm going to read you the whole chapter this morning from jo- of John 20. Simply entitled in the ESV, The Resurrection. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, and when they saw the Lord, When they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Can you put those pictures up for a moment, please? Liz and I were privileged in 2019 to go to Jerusalem. And this picture here, there's a tree that they say has grown in the shape of a cross. But the little hole at the back there, that is to be the tomb uh, of where Jesus was, I say, supposed to be laid. I'm not, you know, but it's, it's, it was very moving and interesting as we broke bread in this um, garden. It's a lovely place. And it's quite near Golgotha, um, the place which is now a bus station. And, but you can see the face of a skull in the rock face on the side. And it is literally a stone's throw, literally, from that place. This is where Jesus is supposed to be laid and that symbol at the back is to represent the fact I can't remember quite what all the symbols mean but the cross is there and there's something about Jesus Christ um, around that I just thought it would be interesting for you to see that this morning and that is how on this day all those years ago they found the tomb empty they found it empty you can't just look into this tomb from the outside, standing, trying to see around the hole in the wall. You actually do have to lower your head, stoop, and look in, and if they allow you to walk in, although they, they don't let you walk right up and, um, you know, touch the wall or anything there. But I could have picture as I was there, I could picture this day. And so as I read this scripture, I, I, I can see that there is credence to it. That when Mary came early in the morning before it was light, she woke before it was light. She got up, she wasted no time. She didn't wait for sunrise. She put her clothes on, she went out into the darkness before the dawn and she made her way to the tomb, probably to meet the other women who had gone out, according to Mark's record, bought spices with which to anoint the body. For me, Mary is showing her extreme devotion to Jesus. He had such an impact on her life and such a transforming impact on her life that she was absolutely devoted to him. And so we find her there. I am convinced that Mary Magdalene was actually there. I know the account here gives Mary Magdalene, it appears on her own, and in the other accounts there are other women with her. But whatever way I want to look at it, 
Mary Magdalene is mentioned by all four of the gospel writers and therefore I feel quite confident that she was actually present whether it took place as a, her as a single individual or whether the three other the other women were there however that happened by the other writers what I want to say to you is I can be sure that she was there the first time the first time she left the tomb was to go back to the disciples and to tell them that they had taken the Lord. And then you see that picture. You remember the other week I talked about how in those days to run, they would have to gather up their garment and tie it so that they could run freely. Well, Peter and John... Um, well yeah John the writer of the book it appears to me ran and made their way to the tomb John overtaking Peter and getting there first but the interesting thing for me is with John doesn't immediately dive into the tomb he sort of stoops and has a look and Peter probably out of puff a little because Peter always strikes me as being a big lad you know maybe a little bit out of puff but he gets there but he does not stop running straight past John dipping his head and going straight in and it was just as they said it amazes me that despite the fact in John's gospel you can see that Jesus has tried to prepare the disciples for what was going to happen and he's actually made a statement to them that they would see him again it says here at the beginning of John 20, it says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so they looked and off they went back to their home. But Mary stayed. Mary stayed. She was weeping. Her Lord had been taken she was grieving because she was not aware at this moment that Jesus was resurrected they thought that they had just taken his body away and then she has this amazing encounter she sees two angels in white sitting where the body had laid And then she hears a voice from behind her say, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I think from what I can deduce, Mary turns around and actually looks at the man who we know to be Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And you may find that strange. How would she not recognize Jesus? But if we went back to Isaiah 52 and we read about how his physical appearance was marred because of what he'd been through on the cross, in some ways it's hardly surprising, is it, that she didn't initially recognize him. A, she wasn't looking for him in terms of expecting to see the risen Christ. And B, she thought he was the gardener. 
But then the most beautiful thing happens for me. He says, Mary. And the moment he speaks her name, she knows who he is. The moment he speaks her name, she knows who he is. She's no longer in confusion who the man is that is stood there. It is Rabboni. It is Jesus. It is my rabbi. It's the one who has set me free from those seven demonic spirits. This is the man that I have followed and given my life to following. Just because he spoke her name, Mary. It's like, whilst disfigurement in the outward man might have taken place, it was the word, the way he spoke her name, that opened her eyes to see who it was. I think it is amazing. You might remember that at at Christmas when we sing while shepherds watched their flocks, I have to be careful when I say that, while shepherds watched their flocks by night, the angel of the Lord gathered around and proclaimed to them that Jesus had been born. The shepherds were the lowest of the low. They were the lowest social class. And now the first person who sees the resurrected Jesus is Mary Magdalene, a woman who is also in that culture considered low and inferior. But Jesus makes himself known to her. And from there she returns and she announces the resurrection to the disciples. You know, when God works, when Jesus works, he doesn't always do things the way we think he should or the way we understand and believe he should. God will often offend our heart or offend our mind to reveal our heart. And I am certain whilst they might have been pleased, in fact, in one account it says they didn't believe her. They didn't believe her. If it had been a man, one of the disciples, it would have been no problem. But because it was Mary, there was this, okay, okay, we'll measure, we'll be measured here. God is not constrained by what we think. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's not just men, that's women. That's everybody is fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't matter whether you're tall or short, fat like me or thin. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're educated or you've got learning needs that need assistance. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're handsome or beautiful or you're ugly. No, I wouldn't say anybody's ugly, right? But to contrast, all right? It doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. The reality is every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. 
and God loves us. So, the resurrection matters. It matters, and I want to make that declaration this morning because there are people who would say the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus doesn't matter. Not just people who aren't so-called followers of Jesus, but this debate about whether is, was it a physical or was it a spiritual resurrection that took place? Well, I want to declare very simply, it was a physical resurrection that took place. It's not just some spiritual mumbo-jumbo type thing while the body remains in the grave or is being whisked off somewhere. There was a physical resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. We know he was dead. There was a spear thrust in his side at Calvary and blood and water flowed from his side, which... I'm not medical, but I am told is a sign that death has taken place. We know that Joseph and Nicodemus came, or Nicodemus brought some form of spices, even in the night, to start anointing the body with. And the reality is, if they had put those spices on Jesus, even if he had been in a state of swooning as they say you know he had fainted under the pressure which I don't believe he was already dead but if they had covered him with this anointing stuff he would have died anyway because that would have been the result of putting all that on his body and wrapping him in linen cloth there was no way that anything else can be said that Jesus had died And when they turned up on this day and Mary heard her name called and turned, it was the living Jesus raised from the dead. Amen? Yeah. Paul emphasizes this in 1 Corinthians 15, reminding us Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In verse 17, he argues that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all our faith, the fact that we are here this morning is futile, and all of us are still in that lost place, condemned because of our sin, and under that hopelessness that that brings... Paul makes a direct connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the sufficiency of his death to atone for our sins. When Jesus rose again on the third day, it was the public announcement that God was fully satisfied with the sacrificial death of his son. In his resurrection, Jesus was, excuse me, was vindicated. And in his vindication, so are we vindicated that's why Paul says in Romans 4 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses but raised for our justification Romans 4 25 the resurrection matters the whole of our faith is based on a supernatural intervention by the living God who came and gave life to the body of his son. 
I've only chosen two things to share with you why the resurrection matters, but the resurrection means that the cross was sufficient. Otherwise, it was just total brutality with no end. Meaningless. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection means that death is defeated once and for all. That is the joy for us. Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost, God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. I love this phrase, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Acts 2.24 Death lost its grip on Jesus and has been dealt with for us. We might physically in our physical being die But I want to tell you, we go and we are raised to everlasting life and to dwell with him forever. But the resurrection means not only that Jesus defeated death for himself, but he defeated it for us also. He died and rose as a representative of humanity. It says, he Through the first Adam, death came. Through the second Adam, life came. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's in Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Miracles, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruit, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met fought and beaten the king of death everything is different because he has done so this is the beginning of the new creation a new chapter in cosmic history has been opened transformation has come the empty tomb assures us that sickness suffering death and disease will not have the final word. He has the final word. He has it. But I want to say something to you as well. Because as I've read this passage, I've noticed that there's quite a lot of, that there's a word or a derivative of a word which is repeated again and again and again. And I want to share something out of that with you this morning. Believing is more important than miracles. That's the first thing. Throughout the writing of John, he emphasizes the need to believe. In John 6, when announcing that he was the bread of life, we read, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus' reply was, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Again, in the chapter before the one I read to you, in verse 35, John says, He who saw it, referring to himself, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. Believing was really important. At the end of John 20, we see it again. He talks about believing and the need to believe. Don't disbelieve, but believe. But the word that comes up again and again, you'll read, he saw, she saw, they saw, I have seen, we have seen, unless I see from Thomas. That is repeated again and again and again. Now Mary recognised Jesus and her eyes seemed to be open to who he was when she heard him say her name. But in this passage, we see as the passage progresses from the first part right through to the end, different words used for the word see or saw or seen. So in verses 1 and 5, we have a word which is, I don't even know if this is the correct pronunciation, blepo, all right? That's how I'm pronouncing it. If it's double E, it's bleepo, but it's blepo to me, right? And that word just means to simply see it, that there's no engagement with what has happened. You just see. And so when they stooped and looked into the tomb, they saw, they saw the tomb was empty. She saw the tomb was empty. And there was no engagement with that issue, except to say they must have taken him away. There wasn't a long, prolonged looking and thinking about what was going on. It was just they saw. Then in verses 6, 12, and 14, the word changes. And it's theorio. To inspect closely and to contemplate. And so we see them coming And Peter, when he goes into the tomb, and sees the face cloth which Jesus had been on Jesus' head. In fact, hold on, is it verse 7 or 18? (coughs) Six, thank you. I've written the wrong one down. Yeah. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw, saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cost that had been on Jesus' head. That word used there is he inspected it closely. In other words, he didn't just stand at a distance, he went and he inspected what was there. And he began to muse over it. Oh, yeah, it was 6, 12, and 14, not 7. And then in 7, 18, and 25, the word changes again to hararo. Hara, That's how I'm pronouncing it anyway. 
to experience, to perceive, to meet with, to have some form of encounter. So you see, you can just simply see. You can inspect closely and contemplate. You can have an experience and perceive and meet with. And the last word that is used in verses 20, 25 and 27 is idon. To understand. And so at the beginning of this passage, they don't understand. But by the end of this passage, they understand. They see. They understand. What is the point I want to make? The different uses of the word for seeing for me is interesting because it records the reality of life. How many of us had a gentle observation about Jesus at the beginning? How many of us then went on to inspect a little more closely and to start thinking about things? How many of us then had an experience where we may have responded to some form of message about the cross and the forgiveness of our sins, only to later fully understand what that meant? It follows the genuine pattern of living. It follows the pattern of living. There are going to be those here this morning who have simply heard their name called by God. Could be anybody. I could pick on anybody's name. We've got several Steves here. Steve, Liz, Steph, whoever, Claire. Kim, whoever, Simon, whoever. You could put anybody's name. There are going to be people here this morning who heard Jesus call their name. And from that one event, they decided to follow Jesus and submit their life to him. There are going to be others of us here this morning who felt that our name was being called but we had to inspect closely and to contemplate a lot before we responded and that's okay but it led us to come to believe and entrust our lives to Jesus there will be those here this morning who have had experiences of God's presence in their life. And I've heard of testimonies of people who are in their room. You, see, you hear it actually. Forget this. I know it's not on this side, but you hear about this with Muslims sometimes. They have this overwhelming dream and a sense of the presence of God with them. It is so real. It is tangible. And they surrender their life immediately to Christ. Some people have that encounter. Paul had that encounter, didn't he? On the road to Damascus. Paul, why are you kicking against the goads, the brightness of God manifesting himself in front of him? His eyes being affected. He had some amazing 
unbelievable experience of the presence of God, which led to him entrusting his life to God. And there will be those this morning who have made things known or have had things way beyond other people's comprehension made known to them. And they have believed and they have entrusted their life to Jesus. Sometimes we have a way of denigrating certain ways. We, we ask each other questions because we want to make sure everybody's saved. And sometimes it's easy to denigrate what appears to be a simple faith. We should never denigrate a simple faith. In the same way, we should not denigrate anybody else's experience of how they came to know him. Jesus finishes this passage off for me, and it is Thomas's, the doubting Thomas's words, which are probably the most poignant for me of all. Jesus says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas's response was, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. My Lord means be my Lord, be my ruler, be my master, be my owner. My God, I submit and entrust my whole life, no part withheld, to you. And so we go and we find the resurrection has happened. We know that something dramatic must have taken place because there is nobody that I can think of on this earth who would go to the lengths that the disciples and Jesus' followers went to and to endure beatings and persecutions and being paraded in colosseums and fed to lions and all sorts of things if they didn't know that Jesus lived. Why would someone, why would a disciple, one of the disciples, allow himself to be crucified upside down? Why wouldn't he just turn and renounce Jesus? It was because he knew his Saviour lived. Today, folks, Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father. And he even despite the fact that in our humanity sometimes we feel the world is out of control, God is in control. Jesus is ruling and reigning. Jesus is interceding before the Father. We have so much to be thankful for. Our whole faith is based on this one event. This one event, this one weekend out of a year that we celebrate. Our whole faith is built on that. Some of you will want to shoot me afterwards, but I can let nearly anything else go except that. 
doesn't mean that I, I condone sin or anything like that, but there is stuff so often that we get hung up on and we get upset about. And yet those same people believe that Jesus lived, was born of a virgin. He lived, he died on a cross, the cruelest of deaths for us. He was placed in a grave, dead. But the Father raised him to life. And through that resurrection, I have been justified and made righteous in his sight. And I want to tell you, that is so great because we can come with confidence before the throne of God, without guilt, without shame, not worrying what other people think about us. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be teachable, but we don't have to worry what other people think about us. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I want to thank you because it means so much to us. It is not just something we do just to get together, but it is the thing that our faith rests on. I want to thank you for the transformation, the breaking of the power of death, the freeing of the captives from hell. Lord, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you, Father God, that you came in the form of Jesus and that you were prepared to go all the way for us. But I want to thank you so much for the resurrection. I want to thank you so much. And Lord, because of that, I want, Lord, my life to be a living letter lived out before people, not just in church, but people I mix with, my family, friends. Lord, the places I go, the people I see day by day, I want my life to be a living letter that testifies to the glory that was achieved through your death and resurrection. And therefore, Lord, go with us this week, I pray. And let us be those living letters, absolutely secure in the knowledge of our forgiveness and the fact that we can come because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.